Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza Media Podcast about everything in print. I'm your host, Stuart in L.A., back with my final book review of the year, the final novel in the Hunger Games saga, Mockingjay. And I'm just going to say, you know, I feel for you, Suzanne Collins. Uh, You know, endings are rough. This author did not leave herself in a comfortable position to just put a big bow on what she had set up here in Panem. For two books, she built up the capital as this tyrannical, oppressive force that divides people into segregating tasks, pits them against one another in brutal gladiator sport, starves them, exploits them for their own entertainment. We get it. They're bad. They're ruthless. Let's tear them down. Well, now she's given herself exactly 390 pages to retell the American Revolution. Uh, It's ambitious, to say the least. No surprise that Mockingjay is her most dense, challenging installment yet. And I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way, too. I don't think Suzanne Collins achieves everything she strives for here in this wrap-up. I'm not sure anyone could, because, you know, Hunger Games was such a satisfying page-turner, largely because it gave our heroine, Katniss Everdeen, a problem she could solve, mostly on her own. She was stuck in an arena, she had to fight her way home to her sister, a lot of obstacles in her way, including this boy who loved her, and genetic mutation, and these mean rich kids. But in the end, I was confident she could win that battle. But now Katniss has to win a war, you know, and it's harder to swallow that any one person, even this resourceful 17-year-old archer, could be so important as to determine the fate of free society for everyone. I mean, wars are won by masses. It's a lot of people coming together. Our Mockingjay is just one of many that can make a difference. And like Hunger Games and Catching Fire, uh, Mockingjay is told all in first person. Everything we're going to see and know comes from Katniss. So while there are 12 districts with their own insurrection against President Snow and the Peacekeepers, we're a lot of the time stuck underground with an angry girl who just doesn't want to be told what to do. I'm not sure the perspective is right to tell a war story. To catch you up, I mentioned last week that the Rebels had stopped the latest Hunger Games, and that was partly due to Katniss uh, being coaxed to shoot out a force field around an arena, and they were able to break in, whisk her away to District 13. Yes, the very district that first rebelled against the Capitol 75 years ago. They are still in the picture. Uh, There had been hints of this in Catching Fire. There was a moment where Katniss was out hunting. She saw some refugees. They were fleeing the capital. They believed that District 13 still existed. It was this fabled promised land where they could go and live a different way of life. And we never know if that's true or not, because then hovercrafts came and, and picked these refugees up and killed them. So it had not really been confirmed until the end of Catching Fire and until Mockingjay how much of the legend is true. 
District 13 still exists. You know, 75 years ago, they were bombed to smithereens. Not a building was left standing. The Capitol had defeated them for leading an insurrection. But the rebels were not defeated. They just went underground. They built a new militaristic society under this command of Commander President Alma Coyne underneath the earth. And President Snow knows about them. This was not a secret. You know, he could have sent peacekeepers in there after them to finish the job 75 years ago, but a truce was signed instead. And the reason for that negotiation is that District 13 had a a lot of leverage. I mentioned that each district supplies a specific material good to the Capitol. Well, District 13 was in charge of Panem's nuclear program. They got the bomb. They can fire missiles and nuke the capital off the face of the earth. And so really they could, they could put an end to all of this anytime they want at, at a punch of a button. They haven't done that because they realize that the radioactive fallout and the destruction of, of doing that would lead to a lot of innocent death throughout Panama. All the districts would be impacted. Everyone loses if there is a nuclear war. So it's been a stalemate for 75 years. These two factions have known about each other, have hated each other, but they signed a truce in which District 13 was allowed to exist in exchange for the capital keeping the 12 other districts who do not know about District 13. So these rebels have just been waiting for the right moment to rally their oblivious friends and strike back. You know, they still want the Capitol dead and they've got to do it soon because District 13 is dying. I don't think living underground long term is healthy for a human body. You know, you don't get enough sun or fresh air, not to mention they're handling radioactive materials. It's explained to Katniss early on in Mockingjay that a plague has broken out. This pox has left a lot of the rebels covered in these kind of gross sores, and and many of them are infertile. They can't have new children. There's not going to be a generation 75 years from now. They can't continue to wait. They have to strike while they have a population number in their favor. So I think that they're going with Katniss Everdeen. Momentum seems to be with them because she has become this lightning rod for the 12 other districts. You know, she's been a celebrity by competing now in two games, In two games, she's done things that are perceived as defiant against the Capitol. This whole Mockingjay movement in her honor is burbling under the streets. So it was worth the risk to get Katniss out. They had a lot of allies. They had the game maker in their pocket, Plutarch, the guy that designed the last Hunger Games, designed it in a way to protect her, that she could figure out it worked like a clock, stay ahead of the danger, and the other tributes could help her escape. They were in on it, too, that many of them were not trying to kill her. They were trying to get her out. Even her stylist, Cinna, before he was executed, he was an ally. He gave her a, a public moment in a Mockingjay dress. Uh, her mentor, Haymitch, was converted. So you had a lot of folks mobilized to ensure Katniss was going to live and continue the fight. And now she doesn't want to answer the call. (laughs) She's mad, mostly because they didn't rescue Peter Brad. I mean, remember Peter, this sad, sad sack of a boy who now for two novels has loved this girl that does not love him. She's becoming more and more involved with Gail. 
She is having to pretend to be in love. How painful it is that he has this fake romance with her. Well, he did not get out of the arena. They did not make it a priority to take him. Things got confused in the final moments of the games, and he was captured by Snow, and she is mad that although her life is spared, his was not. And this is where Katniss starts to look like a spoiled, self-involved teenager to me. I mean, she should be looking like a maturing hero. And instead, she's just pouting that, you know, I get it. All right. She may not have liked the messy method in which she came into this role. She may not have asked to be a hero or a symbol for a revolution. But after having a whole book where she was running from responsibility and saying, oh, no, 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 I can't live. PETA should live instead. I feel like it's time for her to say, screw PETA. This is bigger than me and him. This is about everyone. This is about Panem. I need to do this to help everyone. Well, thank God the Capitol is awful as the rebels say it is, because I think they're really the only reason she agrees to put on the Mockingjay armor. When this book begins... Katniss is standing in the ashes of District 12, not District 13. That's where she lives now. That's where the Ribbles are. But District 12, her home, was bombed to smithereens just like District 13 as punishment. President Snow wanted to hurt Katniss for ruining the games, and so he annihilated 90% of her people. He dropped bombs strategically throughout her district, where everyone was gathered watching TV, watching her compete, they were all vaporized. Really, most of the coal mining community is gone. Basically, he just left her mansion so she can go back and sit in her mansion and look around her at the rubble and the life that was expended because she rebelled. Now, I get that that's a that's a brilliant way of hurting somebody, but I don't think this is one of Snow's better strategic moves. I think Snow has gotten too obsessed with Katniss, and he forgot that she really is nothing without the power of the rebellion behind her. He doesn't need to make her the focal point at this point. She has started a movement that's much larger, and he needs to think about how to quell that and forget forget Katniss, you know. But if he didn't kill all these people, I don't think that she would agree to work with President Coyne in District 13. I think it's because 90% are dead and that leaves 800 refugees now living in District 13. You know, among them, Gail, her sister, her mother, they got out. But, you know, I think that she has to face the fact that she's now here in the rebel base And she needs to do what she can to get back at Snow, that this is only going to escalate. Oh, and I should probably also mention there is another survivor from her family that has made it. Buttercup the cat is found here in the rubble as well. As she's walking around District 12, her sister's cat is there. I haven't mentioned this cat before because, you know, it doesn't sound like a major deal. But I do think that it, it signifies something. I mean, when you... Think about the fact that the Everdeens were living in an environment where hunger was a day-to-day reality and you were always thinking about where your next meal came from. The fact that Prim was allowed to have a pet cat, she had a pet goat too, but I don't think it survived the bombs, but this pet cat signifies the fact that she still had humanity. She didn't have to put her own hunger above another animal's life. And so I think that this moment where Katniss is 
picking up Buttercup and taking him back to District 13 really tells us again that everything Katniss is going to do is to make the life of her sister better. She's still trying to preserve that young girl's innocence. She doesn't want her to become the hardened warrior that Katniss has become. So that is the sacrifice she's willing to make still. It's still very personal. She doesn't think about larger Pan Am issues. She's not political. And I guess... I guess we can cut her some slack. Why would she think about all these districts when she lived all of her life confined in District 12? Of course, she's going to be thinking about them more. But her eyes have been open. She has traveled around now. She has been celebrated in all the districts. I really do wish she would think more about other people than just Prim and, God knows, PETA. I do think Peter's role is more interesting here in Mockingjay than it's been in the past. Instead of just being a sap, he's now snow sap. They're putting him on television. He is becoming a mouthpiece for the Capitol, somewhat willingly. I do feel like a lot of what he's going to express to the people are sentiments about putting out a ceasefire, you know, not answering the call to war. He and Katniss didn't know about a rebellion in the last games. It was something that was done to them. They're not trying to fight for an overthrow of Snow and the Capitol. And so, of course, Snow's going to want to put him out there on TV to tell people that all the time. But, of course, that's going to piss off the rebels. You know, they went to all this trouble to get Katniss and make her this Mockingjay for their own propaganda. And so we have this turncoat game maker Plutarch dressing up Katniss again as the Mockingjay, putting her on TV and telling people, no, you need to fight. The capital is evil. Pacifism is not a solution that's going to work in this case. They are too brutal to live under. Normally, I would be in alliance with this, you know, fight fire with fire, using the girl on fire, no less. I mean, I do think that this seems like a good uh, strategy for Plutarch, Haymitch, and the Rebellion. But this is where Suzanne Collins really gets ambitious. She is going to attempt to draw parallels between District 13 and President Snow's capital that really imply that, that both are equally bad, that President Coyne is a coin toss between her and and President Snow, that under them, life would be equally bad. And I think, well, that's certainly ambitious to establish. A group we just met, you're going to suddenly define the whole rebellion as corrupted. I guess the way that we can accept that early on is that they're doing the same things to Katniss that the Capitol did. She's just as manipulated under the so-called good guys as she was playing the Hunger Games. So, yes, they're trotting her out in novelty fashions. She's saying scripted things that she doesn't actually think so that she can get people to like her and nobody is really interested in the real Katniss and what she thinks or has to say. I get that, and yet... I don't know. We just haven't had enough time to know the rebels' plot to know why this is not going to work either. At some point, Plutarch does mention that he wants to reinstate the governmental system we currently have here in America, that he wants to basically build America all over again, you know, America 2.0. And I guess that is supposed to be seen as a failure. If you are in the political belief that uh, our current government does not work, you're going to think that this rebellion is 
uh, wrongheaded to think they could reinstate a system that has failed people. And these rebels are really humorless, too. It should be pointed out, if the capital is all about frivolity and loud outfits and bread and circuses, and that they don't have any sympathy for, for, for poor and disadvantaged people because they're so superficial, well, this is an overcorrection here in District 13. They are always training to kill. They are hardened military people that only follow orders and don't think for themselves. They're humorless. Everything is so regimented. In fact, you wake up and you find out everything you're going to do because it's tattooed onto your arm each morning. You're By the hour increment, you look at your arm all day long and go, okay, now I have to go meditate. Now I have to go do this. Now it's time to eat. So there needs to be a balance. I get that Katniss needs to find a happy place between the frivolous and the fun haters. But uh, the problem is Katniss is too often reacting to being oppressed she is not imagining what life could be. I don't see her leading a revolution. She doesn't have any ideas for salvation. She basically only agrees to film propaganda as the Mockingjay because she wants to convince PETA that he's the one being manipulated, not her. That it becomes this kind of funny Twitter war where he records a spot and puts it on TV and then she records a spot at a burned out hospital or in the ashes of District 12. They keep firing back at each other. I think Collins is good at this stuff. I mean, I think she's really nailed social media life in today's society and she's really satirized it here in this futuristic showdown. I do like this back and forth that Katniss has with PETA, one trying to convince the other that they are the puppet. And we also get signs of the District 13's brutality too because they have kidnapped Katniss's fashion team. Back when she was playing the Hunger Games, she always was surrounded by an entourage that made her dress up in just such a way that she would be appealing. Cinna was the center of that fashion team that we liked, but the other ones were, they were kind of annoying. And those ones are the ones that the rebels kidnap from the capital, bring to Katniss, and try to, to beat into submission to make them turn her into their symbol in their way. The capital does this as well. They punish people in the districts by taking them in and, and turning them into slaves. They actually cut out their tongue. It's called Avox. I think that's Latin again, but, you know, without a voice, uh, they cut their tongue out and turn them into these clown puppets that, you know, cannot talk back. They can only do what's being told of them. Once you have been punished in your district, uh, you wind up in the capital a slave. So I guess there's a comparative again, where you can either be an AVOX in the capital, or you can be a capital refugee being beaten by these military people into serving Katniss. I think uh, eventually Katniss wins the war. I think logic is on her side. Snow is worse than what these rebels are presenting anyway. So at a certain point, Snow is going to have to start drugging PETA to get him to comply and be on television. And he starts to look a little more haggard. And he even breaks character. At one point, he appears on television to warn the rebels that Snow is going to break the truce and drop the bomb on them that night. 
And because he gives that warning, everyone is able to run for a bomb shelter and and be safe. There are no casualties when the bombs drop. Except, you know, District 13 is already underground. It is a bomb shelter. So, you know, they just have sort of a frivolous moment where they have to go back and save Buttercup the cat. It's it's quite contrived, but the point is it convinces the rebels that PETA is on their side and it's worth their effort to go in. He's a celebrity too, just like Katniss. He would be a good symbol if you went in, rescued him, and had him on TV with Katniss saying, join the rebellion. But there's a good twist here. Snow has been smart about one thing. He has completely brainwashed PETA. He is now an assassin. The girl he once loved, he now wants to kill. Every time he sees Katniss... He sees someone that is responsible for bombing out District 12, that she has caused all these problems, that people are angry and creating the, the disruption in the streets because of her, not because the Capitol has imposed bad things on their life. And, you know, sometimes Katniss is so full of doubt, she agrees with him. So everything is her fault. I just want to run away. She has a lot of moments talking about wanting to go back hunting into the wilderness to not be a part of any of this. There's too much of this. Again, I am ready for Katniss to be a hero. I We had a book of her self-doubting, but... If she is not wanting to run away, she's getting injured. She is many times falling down in the line of duty on morphine drips, having these pity parties. Gail doesn't seem to like her as much anymore. He can sense that she doesn't love him enough. And so I get that these are problems, but these seem like first world problems. And she's in a third world environment. She needs to be thinking about how to at least get snow removed. And that doesn't come for 200 more pages that she gets this cool new bow and arrow and enlists in the army and starts training to prepare herself to go hunt down snow in the capital and kill him, which is how we know this has got to go, right? I mean... This is, there has to be a final Hunger Games in which she and Snow are in some kind of arena, be it metaphorical, that they are going to be the ones facing off with each other is the way to bring this trilogy to a close. But I don't think that Collins can make up her mind about Katniss's journey. I do feel like... I think that this is what she needs. When she is signing up to be in the military and learn to follow orders, I think at last, okay, here is a person that has spent all of her life thinking of herself and has not been able to entertain the notion of romance or friendship. You know, she only thinks about being out in the wilderness alone and that over time by working side by side as a unit with other people of like-minded interests, that she is going to learn to enjoy community and, and, and feel fulfillment by being part of the group. And that started to happen in Catching Fire when she realized the tributes weren't trying to kill her, but trying to protect her. We see that building here in her military training and and her becoming a better soldier. There's a moment where she knows she can run off on her own and, and save the day in this big firefight in District 2. And District 2 are badasses because that's where the weapons are made. It's really the last district to fall before they can take their capital. She knows she can win this fight, but instead she listens to her commander and, you know, hides. I think that this is a lesson she needed to learn. I think that this is 
good for her growth and personal development. And yet, obedience, you know, that's not the lesson that Collins has been setting up here. If if people are living in a world where they blindly accept blood sport as part of their daily life, then telling them that they just need to go along with a group isn't the message. It's not what's kept her alive this far. I mean, if you go back to the first Hunger Games book, Hamish has instructed her that when the games start, there's a big pile of weapons in the in the middle of the field. Everyone runs to it, and that's where a lot of lives are lost. You run in the other direction. She didn't listen to him. She ran into that firefight. She got a backpack of supplies, and that probably kept her alive in the days that followed. If she had listened to Hamish, she probably wouldn't have come out of the Hunger Games, the first one, alive. And there's a similar moment here in Mockingjay where she has been asked to to appear in a PSA at a hospital. It gets bombed. All her team is telling her she's got an earpiece in saying, you need to go hide. This is going to be really bad. She tears the earpiece out. She goes running off with her bow and arrow. She shoots down the hovercraft that is doing the bombing. It's a heroic moment they get on, on camera. It's, it's good for them and everything, but it only occurred because she didn't listen to what was being told to her by the rebels, that she follows her own voice and that that's, I think, a message that is clearly here. I mean, so what is the moral of the Hunger Games trilogy? Is this the story about a woman who must learn to trust and love and be a part of a community? Or is this about someone who needs to remain an individual who has been so ruined by society that she is doomed to walk the earth alone? I think Collins writes it both ways, and that's what makes this wrap-up kind of a frustrating read. It's an entertaining story, very densely plotted. I do feel like there are more story beats than there are pages, and that can be really whiplash-inducing. I'm into this novel, but I do feel like I'm not always sure where Katniss is and if I'm in alliance with her or this rebellion. You know, I do think the real question becomes, how bad is coin? You know, can't she just work with her for a while and then whatever happens later is a fourth book? You know, there's something after Mockingjay. We can deal with the rebellion after we've displaced Snow. But I, you know, I keep thinking it's better to get this poisonous viper dude out of power before we worry about whether the rebels are everything that Panem needs. But we start to see as we enter the, quote, Hunger Games section of Mockingjay, where uh, Katniss is now in this super squad 451. It's all of the old tributes have formed a SWAT team, and they're out there doing photo ops, uh, storming the Capitol. I do get the sense at this point that we are supposed to fear Coin because she puts Katniss in unnecessary danger. She insists that PETA has been deprogrammed, that they were able to turn him back into an ally, and that it would be a good photo op if PETA is fighting by Katniss's side as Squad 451 goes through the Capitol streets. And Katniss knows PETA is not ready. PETA knows he's not ready. He's still bawling his fists when he sees her. He's still saying nasty things about her. But what Katniss believes is, 
Coin wants her to die as a martyr, and she believes that it's going to be ensured by having this assassin in their midst. That Peta is going to just snap at some point and choke the life out of Katniss, and and that'll be it. Then Coin is rid of the Mockingjay. She has no use for her anymore. She has united the districts. All of them are in alignment as the capital is being brought down. Katniss is worth more dead than alive, and Peta will then be executed for it. She can she can wipe the slate clean. Now, keep in mind, this is all coming from Katniss's perspective. We have no real evidence of this. This is the paranoia of Katniss in the last 80 pages of the story as we get into the Hunger Games section. I always like the Hunger Games part. I always like to be in the arena. It's a little disappointing that the Hunger Games section is so small here that it's only about 60, 70 pages of this SWAT team actually running through the streets of the Capitol, uh, releasing booby traps, trying to track down snow. Uh, it kind of plays like a greatest hits of the stuff we've seen before. Plutarch is still the game maker. He has this holographic map. He's guiding them through the maze. And Snow has left all these booby traps, so, you know, there's killer smoke again, there's all these mutations, uh, tracker jackers come back. I think the coolest callback, the one that leaves a lot of suspense, is Katniss has a poison pill. And this really reminds me of the poison berries from the first novel. If you remember, she kind of won that game and got both her and Peta out by threatening to swallow poison berries. Well, now built into her suit is a poison pill. She gets captured. She can easily get it out, bite it, and die rather than be tortured. And so you wonder, are she and Peta going to do this again now that they're locked in this uncomfortable relationship where he doesn't trust her and she doesn't trust him and maybe they don't want to be a part of what comes next when the rebellion topples snow will they do what they were threatening to do back in the first book i think that's a brilliant callback i really love that that is an element here as we approach the climax and i don't really want to tell you more you know that's always my policy here is i don't want to spoil the games for anyone that is a first-time reader there's only 60 pages left. I've set this up quite enough. There's some real twists and turns. I'm going to just go ahead and say, overall, while I think Mockingjay is the most garbled of the three novels, it's still a an entertaining story. It still has many powerful, moving surprises, particularly here at the end. I'm going to say that the conclusion is ultimately both sad, poignant, but very satisfying. I think that Katniss, Peta, Gale, Snow, Coin, Plutarch, even Buttercup the Cat, I like the way that Collins utilizes them in the final moments of this story. I think you will be impressed. And it's most definitely an end. I mean, I don't see how there could be a fourth book. I could see her writing another trilogy down the road. You know, the adventures of someone beyond Katniss Everdeen, what society will be like post-Panem. But this is the end of Katniss Everdeen's story, and I, I think that it's a good one. I think that as a trilogy, Suzanne Collins should be very proud. She has largely achieved what she set out to do. It's a good book series for young women to read if they want a heroine that is 
you know, emotionally engaging and complex and not always mature, you know, sometimes, many times, too many times for me, uh, runs away from responsibility, but ultimately heeds the call and is, is really an impressive role model. I think the satirical elements are what I really hold up about this book is that Collins has nailed the idea that we live in a world where we're more concerned about what other people think than what we believe ourselves and that to foster our own opinions and to do what's right for us is ultimately the lesson here and supported by the great satire of social media age. So that is my thought on the Mockingjay and the Hunger Games trilogy. Read it. Enjoy it. Reread it. This is my second time going through. I got a lot more out of it. And of course, there's also the movies. Four movies, not three. They maybe wisely, Hollywood decided to break up Mockingjay into two different movies. If you want to know what I think about that, uh, you can join me over at Sister Show, now playing podcast.com. If you become a silver level donor, you can hear my thoughts on all four Jennifer Lawrence movies, as well as my thoughts on the two Battle Royale films. Arnie Jacob and I are going through that series now. So I hope you can support the show and do that and donate. But if not, thank you for just joining me here at Books and Nachos. I think class is out of session for the year. I'm going to take a break for the rest of 2015. And uh, I'm hoping that you will enjoy this series Let me know what your thoughts are. I'll still be reading your reactions in the forums on Facebook. We can talk more books and movies there. Thanks for joining me. Keep reading. I'll talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.